Last week we talked about God's love for us from Malachi 1, 1 through 5. And if you weren't here, I'll get you up to speed. God loves people that are part of His covenant. And we as Christians are part of that covenant. And you, if you're not a Christian, can be a part of that covenant through Jesus and what He did on a cross. And, and what we're going to read today is about sacrifice. And, and the truth is, it's easy to kind of separate verses 6 through 14 in Malachi 1 from 1 through 5 and, and not really reflect on it as a response to love. But that's doing an injustice to the passage. What we're going to read today is about sacrifice, but it's about sacrificing because you love God, because God first loved you. It's that simple. Now, here's the deal about sacrifice. Generally, we sacrifice for the things that we love. I mean, you think about people who are willing to sacrifice for their country. They do that because most often they love their country, right? And and me, I've never sacrificed for my country or made any sacrifice that great, to be honest with you. But I think about the sacrifices that I've made in my life, and most are connected to sports and one thing that came to mind as I was thinking about this is, uh, who knows what a charge is in basketball? Okay, that's when you uh, get run into by the guy with the ball and you, and you fall down and, and the referee calls a foul on the guy with the ball. It's an offensive foul. Okay, are you with me? Everybody kind of get it now? Yeah, okay, good. Uh, so going into my senior year, uh, the high school record for charges in a season by a team, entire team, was 17. We had a guy on our team take 24 charges. I took 18 charges and somebody else took like 10, right? And so what happened is that we constantly would just plant our feet. I'm five foot nine, right? I'm not like prototypical basketball size. And I just let big people run into me, right? I mean, this was kind of the idea. It was a major sacrifice. And the most sacrificial charge that I ever took was in a game. I have video of this. I'll have to show it to you sometime that was against Sprague High School down in Salem. And they had a guy on their team who, who was Bill Swancutt. And Bill is now uh, the all-time, this is true still right now, the all-time sack leader in Oregon State history. So he tackled the quarterback more than anybody else while the quarterback had the ball ever in however many hundred years or whatever of Oregon State football history. He's like, even when we were in high school, he's like a man. And I'm still not like a man, right? I mean, I'm like a child compared to Bill, and, and, and we're playing this game, and, and I, I can remember it, and he doesn't even have the ball, right, and nobody ever tries to take a charge without the ball, and I don't even know what was taking place, but Bill is running full speed down the court, and I, I know, I knew Bill growing up, but Bill is coming at me, and he's, he's big, I mean, he is huge, right, and I plant my feet, and Bill hits me so hard that you can't even imagine. I literally do a somersault backwards. I, I remember getting up and my only thought was, I don't, I, I don't want to run the wrong way because that's going to be embarrassing. I didn't know which way I was supposed to go. He hit me so hard. And, and on the video, you can see my coach jumping up and down because there's not a foul. I don't remember that at all. There was I, I, I was just going, go the right direction, go the right direction. And, and here's the deal. I, I, we won that game. And the thing that I love that generally has made me sacrifice fully in my life, no matter what it takes, is winning. I mean, I love winning. Because not long later, 
Not too long later, uh, we had another game against them. We also beat them in that game. I'll point that out ahead of time. But, but Bill comes down the lane, and I take a charge. Again, Bill is huge, and, and I say something to him. I said a lot of things. And, and, and this was the last words I had spoken to Bill until not that long ago. But he had spoken to me, I guess. Is he said, Harms, I'm going to kill you. And, and, and I went the other direction, and, and that was the end of it. But I hadn't learned my lesson, and I was still fully devoted to being run into by a guy that, uh, when he was done with college, he, he was probably like... Six five two eighty all muscle or something like that, and he wasn't much smaller in high school. And the reason was, it was always that I I loved it. I loved winning. I cared because I loved it. And and you can hear story after story. I mean, I'm playing softball on a torn hamstring, and there's oh, just a few of you watching, but it's not like we get a trophy or anything. And yet the love of winning draws me back out there every day on one leg. I remember trying to go to a practice with a 104 degree temperature one time. I couldn't drive. I had my dad drive me out to practice. This was in college. I said, I, I can't go. I can't straight and but I need to be there and and my coach sent me home thankfully but but there's something that drove me and it was simple it is it's not the love of sports I, I, I like sports pretty good I love winning I, I it's just a part of me and, and in the passage we're going to look at today it's about sacrifice it's about letting yourself get run into if you need to uh, for the glory of God and, and the truth is that it's fully wrapped up in what's said in Matthew, excuse me, Malachi 1, 1 through 5, and that is God loves you and, and you should love him back. And we're really going to see the type of sacrifice that should come from this overabundant love that we have for God. Now, here's, here's the other part that you need to know before I even read this passage is that it speaks to the priests. And that's who it's directly aimed at. And first of all, you need to know that, that through the priests, it's kind of aimed at the nation of Israel. And, and, and the priests were, were really a, a type or a, a symbolic of everybody. They were the, the representatives. It's like if somebody kind of takes a shot about the American president from another country, you, you kind of know that they're thinking about you too, right? I mean, they're also, you're just like everybody else. And, and so God is kind of generalizing, but he speaks to the priests. And this is something you need to know. If you're a Christian... Then, then the Bible, the New Testament, says that you are a priest. That you are a person that is supposed to offer sacrifice different than the Old Testament, but sacrifice for Jesus. Listen to Revelation 1, 5, and 6. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood, that's Jesus, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And so here, here's the truth. If you're sitting in front of me and you're a Christian, then you are a priest. You have a job to do. You are supposed to be bringing Jesus worship, and part of that is through sacrifice. And we'll look at New Testament sacrifices in a second. But, but one more thing, and that's this. If you're unfamiliar, the Old Testament presents this sacrificial system, right? And, and, and what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to kill a bunch of animals for certain types of, of things and and most if you've ever studied the sacrificial system or you ever thought about it you've been around church and you've heard about it most oftentimes we connect it to sin and we think well they sacrificed because they had done something wrong but the truth is four-fifths of the reasons for sacrificing were not sin they were actually things like showing god that you were devoted 
making a promise to God, offering thanks to God, worshiping God. And so, as we read this, understand that this isn't just about removing sin. It's about something more. It's about loving and glorifying God. Here's what it says, verse 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? And if I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. Now, I don't know you and and some of you, and, and I don't know what you think about God, but for the Israelite people, they looked at God, and they definitely saw God as both their master and their father. And I can read verses to you, I won't this morning, but, but they saw God, the God of the universe, as somebody that they could interact with as a father, as a dad, somebody in that type of relationship with him. But they also saw God, the God of the universe, as somebody who was their master, like somebody who owned a slave, somebody that they needed to obey fully, 100%, without question, no matter what he asked, no matter what he thought, they needed to be obedient to him. And so when God says this here, son honors father and a slave is master. If I'm a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my respect? They know that God is right in saying this. And the other thing that they understood, more than we probably understand, is that fathers and mothers are to be honored. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, even if people that aren't Christians, you, if you're one of them, you're like, yeah, the Ten Commandments, they're good, I try to follow those, right? I mean, that's something that people talk about. Yeah, the Ten Commandments, I like those, no matter what you think about Christianity. And one of those is to honor your father and your mother. And so here, God is saying, look, you know you're supposed to honor your father. You probably do, because there's some rules that can get you in big trouble. And so you probably already do it, so why aren't you honoring God? And these people understood slavery far more than we can understand slavery. And so they knew that you just respected your master. You had this healthy type of fear for him, and, and, and if he said to do something, you did it. And, and so, so the point is really clear to them. Maybe it's a little more difficult in our world that seems to disrespect fathers and doesn't have really a grasp of what slavery is all about. But for them, the point is very clear. God is saying, look, I'm God. And yet, you choose to honor your dads, the slave owners, more than you choose to honor me, the person who has created your dad, the slave owners, and everybody else in this earth. So he looks at these people, and right off the bat, it's just a pretty confrontational passage, as you'll see, and it speaks pretty clearly to our situation uh, as the American church. But right off the bat, God's like, this is stupid. I mean, if I could just add to his wording. I mean, this is stupid. You, you honor and you respect people that are people, but yet me, you don't care about. That's weird. That's backwards. That doesn't make any sense. And he moves on. It is you, priests, who have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now here's one thing you need to know. My name stands for God, specifically his presence and his reputation. And so he's saying, you show contempt for my presence was right there with them in Jerusalem. They had just built a brand new temple and God was there with them. You, you show contempt 
for my presence and for my reputation on this earth. Now, contempt is not a word that I use very much, and it's used a lot in, in the passage that I just read to you. And, and so, just, uh, just so that you understand, this is both in Hebrew and in English, it really means to see something as unimportant. That's what the word contempt means, treating something as unimportant or beneath consideration. And so this is what God's saying. You are treating me as unimportant. Like I don't matter. Like I'm not a big deal. And they say, well, how are we doing that? Now, this is the thing that I, I this is so, this is so like us right here, right there in that verse. Because, because this is just a big rationalization session. I mean, God's like, hey, you're showing contempt. He says, you're showing contempt for my name. They say, how are we showing contempt for your table? He says, you're showing contempt for me. And they say, how are we showing contempt for you? If we're just showing contempt for your table. And so it's like this thing like where they're like, well, God's not going to back me into a corner. I mean, I, I kind of get what he's getting at here, that we're not doing things right, but no way is he going to pin it on us. I mean, sure, God, yeah, we don't care about your offerings, but how are we disrespecting your name? I mean, I haven't said anything bad about your name lately. I haven't said anything bad about you in a long time, God. I mean, I know that I'm disobedient and, and I haven't thought about you in a long time. That's why I haven't said your name. And I don't really care about you at all. But, God, your, your details are not really lining up. Do you know any people like that? Uh, my brother-in-law is like that. If you start like a, a conversation with him that might turn into a debate, then he won't get backed into a corner at all. He's just like, he will not say anything specific and he'll speak vaguely and, and make sure that he's never backed into that corner. These are these people. And isn't that true for us and, and, and sin, right? I mean, if you know you're doing something wrong, very rarely, the first time you do it, do you say, this is wrong, I'm doing it anyway. Right? I mean, that's never the conversation. It's like, well, this is only kind of wrong. I mean, my parents said that I couldn't stay out this late, just going back to high school, but I don't know that they really meant it. And they're probably in bed, so they're not worried about me anyway. And the real reason that they didn't want me staying out late is because they were going to worry about me. And so uh, I'm just going to stay out a little longer. That's how it goes. And that is the attitude of these people. God is saying, look... The way that you treat me as unimportant is that you're disobedient to me in your sacrifices. And for them, what they were doing is they're bringing their lame, their blind, their no good animals to kill, right? So it costs them nothing. And we'll come back to that in a second. What they're doing is they're, is they're bringing the animals that they don't want anymore. And then they're burning them on the altar and saying, God, I did what you asked me to do. God's saying, you are treating me as unimportant. And they're saying, but yeah, we did what you told us to do. I mean, yeah, we were disobedient to a lot of other commands, but at least we made the sacrifice. Aren't you happy? And God is saying, no, I'm not happy. And then he says this thing that, that probably doesn't, again, it doesn't make sense to us unless we put ourselves in their shoes. But, but he says, would you, would you bring those types of offerings to your governor? Now, here's the deal. The Persian people, we talked about this last week, they are the ones who are overseeing the Jews at the time. The Jews are not free. They are living in their own land. They have just gotten back to their own land. But the Persians, a different empire, is in total control of them. And they have a man there that's Persian. He's a Persian leader. And he is their governor. So whatever he says goes. It's not like the Jews have their own king at this time. It's not like David or Solomon's walking around. They are under the total rule of the Persians. And they have this governor. And they are required to bring 
taxes to the governor so that the governor can have his food and so that he can pass it on to the Persians and they can support their empire. And so God asked this just very straightforward question. Like, hey, would you do that to the governor? Would you bring him an animal whose leg is chopped off already because it had gotten in a fight with a with a wild beast or something. I mean, would you would you come up to your governor and be like, hey, I'm supposed to bring you an animal. This one's still alive, but not for very much longer. So you better get it on ice because it's bleeding right now. So, so here you go. I did my job. And God's saying, you, you, I mean, he's, the, the implication is you would never do that. You, you would not bring this high-powered man who has really control over you and can put you in jail and probably can have you killed. You would never... Bring your worst to him. You're worthless to him. But that is what you are doing to me. And so here's, here's the thing, that just for you and I, and then we're going we're gonna to really bring this to just kind of some meaning for us at the end. But, but just, just something to think about here as we go. A great question to ask yourself about your sacrifice for God is, is just this. Would your boss be satisfied with the effort? Would somebody that has more power than you be satisfied with the effort that you're making? Or you can just think about like somebody who's really important to you and you really respect them and you really you want to impress them. You know, you have people like that, like a, a coach, you know, it would be one that I've had in my life. And, and just ask yourself, in, in the way that you approach your relationship with God, would it satisfy your basketball coach? Would it satisfy your boss? Would it satisfy your dad? Would they say, yeah, that's a great effort. I'm really pleased with that or not because that's God's point. Now he moves on. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Now from your hands makes this a very personal deal, right? God is talking about like you are doing this. You are offering these sacrifices of broken, beaten down animals. It's from your hands. And this is what it literally says. It's kind of a confusing verse, but it literally says to stroke the face of God and it may, and may it be, he will be gracious to us. This is what one author says about it. This is the notion of cheap grace summed up before the phrase was coined. And here's what she says the people are basically saying. God will forgive me. It's his job. So in verse 9, really the idea for these people is they're saying, yeah, sure, the sacrifices are not what they're supposed to be. I mean, God says I need to bring, bring an unblemished, unhurt firstborn male animal to him. We're not doing that per se, but we are bringing him animals. And then, they're, and then they're looking at God and they're not in a very good situation. I said that last week. I mean, there's disease and there's famine and they're looking at God and they're saying, God, sure, it's not very good, but you're God. It's your job to forgive us. We chuckle a little, but that's just about every Christian that I know today. I mean, that, that's every single Christian that I know. Like, hey, God, I'm not living for you. I don't care about you. I don't think about you. But, but you have to forgive me because it said something about it in the Bible. I mean, I'm going to keep doing this sin, God. I'm just going to keep doing it. I don't care about whether you like it or not. I'm going to keep being disobedient because it's your job to forgive me. And we look at, at God and we have this attitude. We stroke his face, as, as it said here. We say, God, come on. I'm, I'm making you happy. I mean, I went to church this week. So forgive me for this stuff. It, I'm not going to live for you, but come on. 
I'm saying a prayer right now. Just forgive me. It's your job. That's what verse 9 says. And the answer is important. Is he going to accept this type of lifestyle? Is he going to accept this offering? The answer is quite clearly, no. I mean, that's the implied answer. Sure, God is forgiving and you're going to be forgiven forever. But God doesn't respond to half-hearted fake, hey, I'm, I'm doing this to please you, but I'm going to continue to be disobedient to you. He's not going to forgive you for that. Just, maybe that sounds like not Christian enough for you, but God is not going to forgive you while you're living in sin. I don't even know if that's possible. Like, hey, I'm about to kick you. Please forgive me. Is that, like, if I did that to you, is that even a, I don't even know if that logically makes any sense. Like, I'm in the middle of punching you. My face is still on your, my hand is still on your face. Forgive me. Right? I mean, that, and that is what these people are doing to God. Hey, we're being disobedient, but it's your job to forgive me. I'm going to be disobedient tomorrow, but, you know, make things better in our land. Fix it. That's their attitude. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. This is a huge statement. I mean, I, I don't know that we can even, like, get in a 400 B.C. mindset to really grasp how big of a deal this is. The temple was everything for these people. I mean, it was... It was the place of worship, and, and God is saying, I wish that I could talk somebody in to shutting the temple, the place of worship, because your sacrifices are so unmeaningful to me. The temple doors, if you go back and you read in the Old Testament, were only shut one time. It's in the book of Nehemiah. It wasn't long before these people lived. And they were shut because there were scoundrels all around and they wanted to kill people. And so they shut the temple doors for safety. That was the whole reason. This is the only time when it's even talked about. And think about it from their perspective. The temple had just been rebuilt. If you go back, you study the temple in the Old Testament. It's torn down, it's rebuilt, it's torn down, it's rebuilt. And now, these people had just rebuilt this temple. It was super exciting. We can worship God. And just a few years later, God is looking at these people and saying, Your offerings are so disobedient and so half-hearted that I just wish you would shut the doors and stop doing them. I'm not going to accept any of them. I'm not going to accept it. Because it's not real, it's not obedient, it's half-hearted, it doesn't matter to me. You're killing animals, and it's totally useless. That's what that last word means, useless. I mean, it, totally, what you are doing is useless. You're going through the motions, you're not even being obedient about it, and it matters none to me. That's a big statement from God. I mean, these people are... Like killing animals. I mean, that's, that's just think about it. That's sad. Uh, and, and God's saying it has no benefit. I'm not going to accept them. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I wish, I wish that you would just shut the temple doors. And the implication there is that the priests are kind of getting in trouble. They are. I mean, listen to the words of God. Because of what they're doing. And so it would be even better for them if they just stopped. I mean, they're doing it half-heartedly and they're doing it in disobedience. And so it would be better for them if they would just stop doing it so that they would prevent further and further punishment. Verse 11. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. This is one of the 
worst written sentences in all the Bible, if I can just be honest with you. In Hebrew, it's, it's terrible and there's tons of opinions and uh, it's, it's called like one of the, the most difficult verses to try to come up with a meaning to. Uh, and so uh, I read about it and didn't understand most of what I read. And so let me just give you two things that it might mean that I think are pretty good. It can refer to the idea that God's kingdom in the person of Jesus will soon come and God will be worshipped all over the world. Now that's a biting statement for the Jewish people, right? I mean, that's a biting statement because they are like the people of worship and, and he's, he's saying, hey, someday it's going to be worshipped. God, I will be worshipped all over the world. And here's the other thing that it can mean. I can refer to the idea that people following other gods, false gods, are more passionate about serving their gods and sacrificing for their gods than the Jewish people are the real God. The point is absolutely, totally, 100% clear. And that is this. The Jewish people, with all their privileges, with all their chosenness, are worshiping in a less good way than the people of the world. I mean, they are the ones who have the temple. They are the ones who have the law. They are the ones who have God's presence. They are the ones who hear from the prophets. They are the ones who have everything they need to worship. And their worship, their sacrifices, are not as good as the people's of the world. It's very interesting. He finishes this, verse 12 through 14. But you profane it, talking about his name. The Lord's table is defiled and his food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as a sacrifice, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. These people just keep getting worse. I mean, not only are they being disobedient in their sacrifice. Here, here's my broken animal. It's barely living. They're, they're saying like, what a drag. I mean, what a burden. I can't believe God is making us do this. I can't believe I have to get up and make more sacrifices today. I can't believe God made me a priest. Somebody that needs to do something. Why can't it be like that guy? He doesn't ever come over to the temple. He just sits at home on Sunday mornings. Saturday. Uh, but but I, I, why do I have to do this? I mean, they're really like, this is the idea is that they're like, they're making that noise with their nose. That's what the word means. We don't have an English translation for that except like that. Like you've seen a little kid do that, right? Like, hey, go to your room. Like that. And then they walk to their room, right? That's what they're doing when it comes to the sacrifices. And then there's an interesting word there. He adds, he talks about these broken sacrifices again, but he uses another word. And the idea is to be torn apart. And it might actually mean to be stolen. And so what God is saying is, look, I'm not going to accept offerings that cost you nothing. Because that's not a sacrifice. Just, let me make this very, very clear. A sacrifice that costs nothing is not a sacrifice. Sacrifice costs. Listen to what David says. David's trying to buy a piece of land so that he can worship God on it. 2 Samuel 24, 24. This is, he's the king in the story. But the king replied to Aaron, No, I insist on paying for it. The guy offers him the land for free. He says, No, I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. The Israelites in Malachi, they are, they're offering things that cost nothing. Verse 14, Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished, an blemished animal to 
the Lord. In, in Leviticus 22:18 through 20, it talks about the sacrifice for this type of offering. And this type of offering, interestingly enough, is a, is a type of offering where the people would come to God and they say, hey, I, I need something from you. I'll do this for you. I'll offer this animal or I'll promise to do this. And so here's my sacrifice. It's not even one that's like required. I find that interesting. It's not even an offering that's required, but the people are like trying to trick God into getting good stuff. Like, hey, I'm coming and here's this. I got, hey, honey, that animal's about to die. Let's see if we can get something from God. I mean, that's really the idea. Like, okay, get it. We're taking it down there. Try to try to put some makeup on it so it doesn't look sick anymore. It's green. And, and, then, and then they take it and they're like, hey, God, I'm offering this sacrifice for you. Please give me fill in the blank. That's the idea here. And God doesn't like it much. In fact, he says that the person who has this half-hearted, disobedient attitude, who makes sacrifices in this way, is cursed. It's a big thing. For I am great, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. God is the great king. He is the only great king. I want to just read you 1 Samuel 15:22 and make some final remarks on this passage. This is what it says. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. If we are going to be people who sacrifice to God, then the first thing we must do, we must be serious about, is being obedient to God. We must examine what God wants from us in Scripture and, and, and through the Holy Spirit. And we must say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And I'll read a couple of sacrifices in a second again from the New Testament. But, but, but if you're not willing to be obedient to God, then it doesn't make sense for you to give of yourself for God, right? I mean, to say like, yeah, I'm going to, I mean, it is a sacrifice for you to be here today, right? I mean, got up and then there's a sacrifice here. But, but what God's kind of saying is, if you're here and you're kind of sacrificed and you made it on Sunday morning, it doesn't matter if you don't have a life that says, I will be obedient to God. God would rather have you stay at home and be obedient. I don't think that's possible because I think you should be here out of obedience, but you got the idea. Now, here, here's the other thing. In the New Testament, we are called to be living sacrifices. It tells us that. I'll read the verse in a second. And there are ways in the New Testament we no longer kill animals. Jesus came. He died on a cross. That's what the Bible tells us. And when he died on the cross, we had our sins removed if we accept that gift. And there's no longer a need to kill animals because Jesus was that sacrifice once and for all. He paid that penalty forever. He he made it so that we could worship God in a new and different and spiritual type of way. But in that, the Bible uses language of sacrifice to talk about the spiritual things that we should do to bring God worship as they did in the Old Testament through killing animals. One, be obedient. Become sanctified. You can read that in Romans 15 and 16. So one way that you can make a sacrifice of God is to be obedient and to remove sin from your life and to add virtue that the Bible wants. Another one is to bring a sacrifice of praise or fruit of the lips as Hebrews 13:15 talks about. One way that you can sacrifice unto God is by singing to God. Sunday mornings at home alone in your room wherever it might be, you can sacrifice to God like he speaks of in Malachi, not through an animal, but through singing to the Lord. 
Another way is by doing good and sharing. Hebrews 13, 16, and then Philippians 4, 18, money that I talked about last night. You can, you can bring a sacrifice to God, a worshipful experience you can bring to God, you can lift to God by helping others, sharing with others, by offering money. These are three ways, and there's other things that talk about offerings, and, and there's other things in your life, but, but those are three very tangible ways that the Bible speaks of offering a sacrifice. And, and here's kind of the big one, ready? Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You want to know what true and proper worship is? It's offering all of you to God. That costs something. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's the truth about sacrifice. God looks at us, whether Christian or not, and He says, I want all of you. And if we become Christians, then we now have a responsibility to be living sacrifices. And I already said, sacrifice that costs nothing is not sacrifice at all. And I think that Malachi speaks to us because what I see in American Christianity so clearly is that people want to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't want it to cost me anything. I'm going to go through the motions as long as it doesn't cost me anything. I'll half-heartedly be obedient to God as long as it doesn't cost me anything. And what you hear in Malachi 1, 6 through 14, just so clearly, loudly even, confrontationally even, is God saying, I don't accept it. If you're going to be half-heartedly doing this thing, if you're going to half be a living sacrifice, if you're going to be half of your body for worship, then I am not going to take any of it. If you're going to be disobedient and then show up to Sunday and sing good songs to me, I'm not going to accept it. I just wish you'd shut the door and not come. Because it's sinful to half-heartedly worship God. It's sinful to, to have more respect for earthly people than it is for the God of the universe who created us. And here's what I just wonder. Amos 5, 21 and 22. I wonder if it's true of American Christianity far too often. This is what it says. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice offerings, I will have no regard for them. And I, I, I wonder this. Maybe this will sound offensive. But I wonder if our celebration of Christmas, Easter, and what we do on Sunday mornings ever is a stench to God. I wonder if everybody looks at our lives and says, Wow, you didn't even think about me or talk about me during the week and now you're trying to sing to me? That's disgusting. I wonder if God ever looks down and, and, and He's looking at our, our Sunday mornings and He thinks, I wish their doors would just be shut because what they're doing right now is they're just being hypocrites. They're going through the motions. They're faking it. They're here so that they feel good, so that they can get something from me, not because they want to bring me worship. I wonder if when people show up on Easter and it's their only time in church all year, if, if God's like, so I hate this. I wish that they were at home because this half-hearted junk is even worse. I mean, he says to a church in the New Testament that if it's, it's lukewarm, he's going to spit them out. And I wonder if he's thinking, man, I'd love to spit that person out of church this morning. 
thing that this passage says to us so clearly and so be so straightforwardly and confrontationally is that God will not accept our disobedient half-hearted sacrifices. It's not good enough for us to go through the motions and say, yeah, I made it to church this Sunday. We need to be people who say, God, you can have every single part of my life. In everything I desire to be obedient to you. And, and, this is so key, I'm willing to give to you something that costs. If you're a Christian and it's never cost you anything, then you might not be. And God doesn't like it very much, I can tell you that. If you're, if you're a Christian and, and, it's, and it hasn't cost you anything all week and, and you're going to sing these last two songs with us, I'll just tell you ahead of time, like, God's not going to like it very much unless you first say, God, I'm really sorry. I repent. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it cost me something this week. You see, we've, we've painted this picture. I'm sure I've been guilty of it too. Of this cheap grace that the priests were painting for the Israelite people. Hey, it's God's job to forgive you. Don't worry about how you live. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says pick up your cross every single day and follow Jesus if you want to be His true follower, if you want to bring Him worship, if you want your life to be one of living sacrifice. That's what Jesus says. And so for us, and, and it's not, I don't think that in, in one sermon that, that, that you're just all of a sudden going to be all in. I hope that you'll take a step forward. And you'll say, this is, this is really my hope, is, is that, you'll, that you'll say, okay, just this week, I'm going to let my Christianity cost me something because I love Jesus and I want to sacrifice. I'm going to do my best to be obedient and I'm going to let it cost me something. I don't know what that cost will be. I hope it's, it's all of you. But, but it's just something. It's going to cost me something this week. That's my hope for you. And, and, and here's, I had this written down and, Hey, this is out of order now, but but this is a convicting thought for me. Radical Muslims are responsible for tons of evil, but at least they don't act like their God doesn't matter. I mean, they don't even serve a real God. They serve a false God who's mean and angry, asks them to do things that are horrific, but they act... Like their God matters. And I look at Christians, look at myself sometimes, look at the churches around that I love and, and the people in them, and it's like, God doesn't matter to you. I mean, you are acting like the real God is unimportant. They're doing horrible evils, things that are terrible. They're willing to die for a fake, mean, jerk God. And we are not willing to give anything of cost for the real, perfect, all-loving God who sent His Son to die on a cross to save us so that we didn't have to work our way into heaven. That's pretty backwards. It just doesn't seem right to me. I mean, people should look at me and they should say, man, Islamic people cannot live up to that because that guy gives everything because he loves his God so much. You see, Malachi 1, 1 through 5 says, God loves you. You're part of His covenant. And we know that to be true of Christians. And Malachi 1, 6 through 14 says, You ought to, if you really are responding to that type of love, you ought to give yourselves. It ought to cost you something. Because, if we can flip it back to the New Testament, 
it cost Jesus everything. I mean, if you read the Bible and the story therein, the Son of God came to earth and He died for you. And the only good and right response for that is for you to lay down your life, give everything, allow for it to cost for Him. That's the only true and right response when you think about the body that Jesus allowed to be broken and the blood that He poured out. Our God, if you're a Christian, our God stepped out of perfection in heaven. The other gods of the universe sit in heaven, the fake gods, and they say, hey, do this, do this, feed me, do whatever, sacrifice your children. Uh, And our God, you know what our God said? I'll sacrifice my son for you. That is why we should give everything to him. Some of you aren't even Christians. And I'll just look at you and I would say, God still wants it from you. You just haven't chosen to give Him anything yet. You haven't even chosen to make a decision to give Him something. And so I would say to you who's Christian, or who's not a Christian, I'd say, hey, time's now. God of the universe, the real one, gave everything. It's time for you to give your life to Him. And for those of you that are Christians, just take a step forward. Just take a step forward. This morning we are going to take communion. And this is one of those deals. This is one of those worship deals. And this is like a very real thing. One of the few things that we are commanded to do in the New Testament. And, and here's my encouragement this morning. I'm going to pray right after I, I, I finish talking. And then I'll talk to God for a second. Pray for you. Pray for me. Pray for our church. And, and then I'll ask you to come up while the band kind of just strums behind us and and what I don't want from you this morning, especially in light of Malachi 1, 6 through 14, is I don't want you to come up here, put it in your mouth, half-heartedly go through it, not having a life of obedience at all. I'd rather have you sit in your chair and not do anything. But, but this morning what I'm asking is that, is that really, if you're going to do this, maybe you didn't live for Him this week, then you say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm, gonna, I'm giving to you right now. And, and that, that we don't go through this and do this in a half-hearted way that makes God want to puke us out. I mean, that makes God say, that's disgusting to me. And, and so what we do in communion is we simply remember that Jesus' body was broken. That's why we, we eat this little cracker right here because Jesus' body was just beat up when He died. And, and we take this cup to remember that Jesus' blood was poured out for the sins of the world. And, and as you do it this morning, please, 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 don't just eat a cracker and drink some juice. There's no meaning in that. That's like bringing a lame animal and saying, God, I did it. But instead, with all the seriousness in the world, and maybe it's a time for you to say, hey God, you haven't cost me anything lately and it's time for that to change because I believe this. But do it with sincerity and do it with a heart of obedience and care for God. He deserves it. Lord, The state of American Christianity is not very good, Lord, and I fall into the trap too much, and I know the people in front of me, people I love, and and they're better than, I mean, not that there's degrees, but I I look at their lives, and they seem better than a lot of other people who claim to be Christians, most of these people in front of me, and I thank you for that, for the sacrifices they are making, but Lord, I know that it's not enough. We're nowhere near living up to... To the foundation that you laid when you offered your entire life in the worst death possible. 
and and so let's pray that you change our hearts this morning and that this week God we would do something that that cost us Lord I pray I would do something that cost us and uh, you know that that's a hard thing for me I'm paid to do so many things for you Lord but I pray this week I would I would pay to do something for you God I don't know what it's going to be for everybody in the room but I pray you'd bring the ideas to their minds whether it's giving money for you whether it's taking time for you whether it's just spending a certain time a day that that they could be doing something else and it really just it doesn't feel like they have the the ability to do it but really giving that to you maybe it's their health maybe it's their very lives I pray not but I pray that we God would would do something that costs something for you this week And, and Lord as we take communion I really ask for the people in this room who don't know you first that maybe right now in this moment they would give their lives to you and they would recognize that that you deserve everything and for those of us God who who know you and love you and have accepted you long ago I pray that as we as we take this bread and this cup God that we wouldn't do it half-heartedly we wouldn't do it with hearts of obedience but we would do it with passion and excitement we wouldn't sniff our noses at you God but we would thank you that you came and that we get to have a relationship with you and that you are a good God Lord, that you are a good God who cares about us and takes care of us and wants to see us succeed, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that you paid, Lord. I pray these things in your name. Amen. If you need a moment, the band will play for a little while again, uh, like we did last week. And if you need a moment to reflect and pause, go ahead and do that. But but uh, in your own time, I just ask that, that if, if, if you have the right heart, that you'll come forward and and get the the bread and and the cup and and you'll do this in wholeheartedness remembering that that Jesus gave us everything